a letter written by Paul, like a lot of the, the books in the New Testament. He, he's writing this book from, from prison, okay? He's in prison probably in Rome, and he's writing this book to some very, very good friends, okay? Very good friends. So Paul, he's in, in prison writing to his very good friends, the Philippians. Um, this is a letter of friendship. It, it's a little bit different than a lot of his other letters. He doesn't start out by saying, I'm an apostle. He doesn't have to try to prove himself or his office or anything like that. These people know him. They know him well. He loves them. They love him. They actually had sent one of their best guys to Paul to check and see how he was doing. Um, his name was Epaphroditus or something like that, one of those weird names, you know. And he comes to see Paul in prison. He gives them an update on how the church is going. And so Paul, listening to him, and he writes this letter and sends him back to read it to him, okay? So that's where we're at. Um, the, the church at Philippi, you can read about um, the founding of this church in, in Acts chapter 16, verse 11 through 40. Okay, Acts 16, 11 through 40. We're not going to read that this morning, but if you go home today, Acts 16, 11 through 40, you can read about those first few people who were in Philippi, the people that, uh, you remember a lady by the name of Lydia? Yeah, yeah, and then there was a jailer, right? And so these were the first people that formed the church at Philippi, and Paul was, uh, stayed there, lived with them, started this church. He visited them multiple times. But this letter is written 10 years after the church at Philippians had been started, okay? And six years after his last visit with them. So it's been a long time. You ever been away from friends that you really cared about for a long time? And this is that kind of a letter, a letter of friendship, but also a letter of encouragement. Um, he heard some things, and, and he wants to address some things, some things to encourage them, okay? So Paul's affection for these people is clear throughout the letter of Philippians. Um, also in the letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, listen to what Paul says about the same people. He's talking to a different church, and he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's where Philippi was, eastern Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of talking, taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Um, these people and Paul were very, very close to one another. So, even though it's a letter of friendship, a letter of encouragement, that's, that's a big part of what this is. But very quickly we see, as with always with Paul, he turns it to the gospel. And so we're calling this, this series, The Gospel Changes Everything. The Gospel Changes Everything, the book of Philippians. And today, specifically, we're going to start with chapter 1. So it just works out, there's four chapters in Philippians. And so we're going to do one chapter a week for the next four weeks, okay? Today, the gospel changes everything. We're going to look at how the gospel changes our friendships, how the gospel changes our suffering, and how the gospel even changes our citizenship. So 
I'm not going to read every verse in chapter 1 today. If you want, that's a great thing to do this week is just take chapter 1 and read it every day. Once a day, every day this week. That will really give you a really good feel for this chapter. And then that's a great way to go throughout this series. Just take that chapter from that Sunday and read it once a day every week. And uh, we're going to be really good shape with this book. So after a short introduction where, where Paul introduces himself and tells who he's with and those kind of things, he starts out with a prayer for his friends. Look at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The gospel changes our friendships. Have you ever written a letter like that to somebody? Did you hear the words that he used? Who talks like that to somebody? I mean, he loves these people. And, it's, and it's, this is way different, you know, than, than our normal friendships. And I think the biggest reason is that is that friendship, when the gospel enters... The friendship is that it's radically transformed from a friendship of two people to a friendship of three people because it includes Jesus in that. Does that make sense? So this isn't just Paul and the Philippians. It's their friendship is Paul, the Philippians, and Jesus. And it completely transformed their friendship. He said, you are my partners in the gospel. He said, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And when was the last time you told your buddy I'm really praying that your love will abound more and more. You know, when was the last time you told your friend, you know, I, I, I long to be with you in the love of Jesus Christ. Friendships that have the gospel at the center of them are different than friendships with people who happen to like the same sports team or someone that you work with at the office and, you know, you guys kind of have the same hobby um, or, or friendship that is, happens to be your next-door neighbor, so you're friends because you both like playing bridge, you know, on Thursday nights or whatever. Um, th- this, is, this is gospel community. This is what that's talking about, gospel community. The gospel changes our friendships. This is what we talk about, at least what we try to talk about when we say you need to be involved in a missional community or a small group at Heritage. We're not really interested in you having a lot of friends, what we're interested in you is interested for you is that you're being a part of a group or a family that has the advancement of the gospel as its main goal and priority. That's different than getting together for lunch or, or dinner on Wednesday nights. Are you with me? The gospel changes our friendships because our focus changes. So we do these things, you know, we, we play ball together and we go to our favorite restaurants together and we go to the beach together. But it's different, it should be different, I should say, because at the heart of what's going on is our concern for the gospel, which was obviously Paul's main concern as he talks. 
So the gospel changes our friendships. We're going to skip now. Uh, we'll pick up right there, 12 and 13. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He knew that they sent Epaphroditus to him because they were concerned that he was in prison. So Paul wants to first assure them, hey, I'm okay, and not only am I okay, my imprisonment here has actually been to the benefit of the gospel being spread. Look what he says. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Skip to verse 18. At the end of verse 18, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that this will turn out for my deliverance. This guy's in prison. He's in chains. He's 60 years old. This isn't young Paul. He's been whipped on the back 40 times, multiple times. Okay, this guy has been through it. He's in prison. And this is a, he talks like he just won the city championship or something, right? Or just won the lottery, that this is all good. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The gospel even changes our sufferings. You know, totally different outlook, isn't it? I mean, how often do we complain about little things, right? And, and I don't think necessarily that every time the, the Bible talks about suffering, that it means, you know, when someone gets sick or those kinds of things. I think sometimes, specifically when Paul is talking, he really means you're going to suffer because people are going to come against you because of your love for Jesus. Okay? Paul wasn't in prison because he got a traffic fine or something like that. Paul was in prison because he was trying to advance the gospel. Does that make sense? He was being persecuted. That doesn't happen a whole lot now. Not where we live. It happens every day in other places of the world. But we're not used to that. So when we read these things, we think sometimes, well... When the air conditioner goes down, I really need to say, praise Jesus, because you, you, know, you must have a great plan for this, Jesus, that the air conditioner went out. <laughs> you know, whenever, you know what I'm saying? We act like that. You know, whenever I fall and break my arm, I ought to give thanks. God, thank you for letting me break my arm. You know, I, I think God knew we were going to have bad things happen on earth, because that's, what, that's how it is here. It's not perfect. This place isn't the way he intended it to be. But the suffering Paul is talking about isn't, oh, I broke a nail this morning. The suffering is the persecution that we receive because we live such lives that honor God that other people look at us and they go, yeah, that's not okay with me. And that changes our suffering because in that we can say, but Jesus, because of this, I know that your gospel would be advanced. And I'm okay with the suffering. Paul goes as far to say, even if I am to die, I know that's gain because I know that I'll be with Jesus. And because of that, he'll receive the glory. When was the last time we chose to live in a way that might cause other people around us to say, that, that's not really okay. I'm not okay with the way you're doing that. You're being too much of a Jesus guy right now. But we get nervous or we get fearful or we get, you know, we're afraid that someone will make fun of us. Paul was in prison 
writing and saying, I will rejoice. I know through your prayers that I will come through this and it will turn out for my deliverance. He says things like, I want you to know that what's happened has really served to advance the gospel. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Now, he's in Rome. You know, Rome at this time ruled the whole world pretty much, right? They were the big empire. I mean, I'm assuming the imperial guard was a lot of people for him to mention it. And yet everyone around knew that he was in prison because of Christ. This was his plan. His concern is for the gospel over and over again. And part of this, he knows that the Philippians, if we read on through chapter 1, he knows that they are experiencing some of the same persecution from the Romans. And so he's saying these things not only to tell them that this is a good thing for him, but he's also setting the example and saying, even in your suffering, this is the joy, the kind of things that you ought to be feeling. Okay, so he says that to us. We, we read this, and most of us today are not in suffering because of our love for the Bible, because of our following Jesus. We're not. But if we were to live lives in such a way that was so radical that we begin to face that, and you know, it's coming to a day where even here in America, we're going to face that, or we're going to choose to not be as um, emphatic about our faith because of our fear of persecution. Right? But even in our suffering, the gospel changes that and we're to have joy. Paul's life is not a matter of seeking his own comfort or advancement. It is all about seeking the advancement of Christ's kingdom. I wonder if that ought to be uh, an example for us. We spend so much of our time, effort, and money on our own advancement and our own comfort and we end up not even having time for thinking about the advancement of the gospel. What's most important? Skip down to verse 27. Hey, my phone does that too. <laughs> it's great. You know, you want someone to read the Bible to you? It's okay, that happened to me once in the middle of Sid talking and I couldn't turn it off. It happened like three times. <laughs> I'll cut this part of the recording out for the people that will listen tomorrow. They'll never even know that happened. Okay, verse 27. This is a cool verse. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. One of the things that had been reported to Paul was that there was a little bit of um, not seeing eye to eye probably in the church there at Philippi, even amongst some of the leaders. And so he's saying this. He's saying, hey, hey, hey. Get your stuff together as a family. Be one. He, he uses, you know, he's talking about unity, striving side by side. Because his concern is not that they end up not liking each other. His concern is for the advancement of what? The gospel. Yeah, he, he knows that their, their relationships are going to be fine in Jesus. He wants them to see eye to eye because he doesn't want the outsiders to look in and go, they can't even agree with themselves. Why should I listen to that? 
You ever think that happens now? All the time. You know, in our last overseer meeting, we talked so much, I think, about unity and that being so important, not only in our church family here, but amongst the churches, even amongst denominations. I mean, when you look around, you go, well, this person thinks this and this piece of person thinks that. There's so much confusion to the outsider, right? And Paul's concern was not for... Uh, everyone to make sure they're buddy-buddy, but to make sure that they are on the same page, moving forward side-by-side for the advancement of the gospel, for the faith of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. His, his, His concern is for their advance, their progress, and their faith, and that they get their corporate act together for the sake of the gospel. Uh, Now, in my Bible, I've got a footnote in verse 27 that says, the Greek word for saying, only let your manner of life be worthy, could also be translated, behave as citizens of the gospel. The gospel changes our citizenship. The city of Philippi was in Macedonia, and it was a Roman colony. And it prided itself that when people lived in Philippi, they could offer it Roman citizenship. Because if you were Roman, that was a big deal when Rome ruled the world. Right? So it was, it was a very big deal that they could offer Roman citizenship there in Philippi. So the people there in Philippi, they would know what that meant. To, to live like your citizenship is in heaven. Citizens of the gospel. So they had this dual citizenship going on. Yes, they were part of Rome. But at some point, something had to happen to where the most important group that they were involved in was the group of people who were Christ followers the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom that Jesus was always talking about, the kingdom of heaven. Paul reminds them that they should look to Christ, not to Caesar, for their model of behavior, since their primary allegiance is to God and his kingdom, and they need to stand together with Paul in striving for the gospel. The gospel changes our citizenship. It had gotten to the point there in Rome where Whoever was in charge, the big guy, I think at this time it was a man named Nero. And they would actually use words for him in the Greek that meant Lord and Savior. And so throughout this book of Philippians, Paul is going to use the word Christ and Lord and Savior over and over to remind them that there is only one Lord and Savior. And his name was Jesus so that the people there at this church would not begin to fall into the trap of everyone else around them who were outsiders of claiming that the Caesar was Lord and Savior, that Rome was the kingdom that was most important, okay? And in the same way, I mean, you you know, sometimes we get so excited about living in America, and there's nothing wrong with that. America's a great country to live in. If it wasn't, you guys would probably move to some other country. Yet our citizenship as believers is in heaven. Our priority is for the advancement of the gospel. Paul's concern is for the gospel. Two things. Paul's concern is for the defense of the gospel and for the advance of the gospel. And that's how it should be for us today. But in the name of tolerance, we do not defend the gospel sometimes. 
Have you ever not defended the gospel because you felt like you needed to be tolerant of someone or something? This is a, a scary thing because it's hard sometimes to find the balance between, between loving people and embracing people and dealing with all the things that are going on in this world that are clearly in opposition to the gospel. It's hard. We live that life almost daily. Who, who struggles with that? I do. Because I know in my heart that God is a God of love and that Jesus sat down with the most sinful of people, even to the point, spent so much time with them, that his reputation was that of a drunkard and a glutton, people, the man who spent so much time with people who did bad things when it came to trying to compare it to the law that they had. He was a God of love, a God of forgiveness. And yet at the same time, obviously, Paul was so concerned about the defense of the gospel. And that should be our concern as well. So I think instead of trying to figure out a way where we say this is the way it has to be or this is the way, I think sometimes we forget that our need is for the Holy Spirit to help guide us through those things. What I have found is that anytime there's people on this side or this side of an argument, most likely the answer is actually somewhere in the middle. And the hard part of that is that we don't have all the answers, but the Holy Spirit, the reason Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to us is to help us navigate those things while we're here. Okay, so we don't have to have all the answers. Yet I do know that Paul and Jesus, they wanted us to be setting examples of loving and serving others. And this entire book, he starts out as talking about himself as a servant in verse 1. This entire book is to set the stage to show the Philippians it's about serving. It's about being unified. It's about loving others. And that is what the gospel was about, that he was concerned. Our, our concern should be for the advance of the gospel. But because we've chosen other things to be more important, we'd end up not advancing the gospel. I mean, Paul dedicated his entire life. Missionaries dedicate their entire lives. They, they wake up in the morning, they think about things differently than we do. You know, we, we've been... Every, every one of us fall into this trap where we buy into thinking that pretty good things are really, really important. Not really bad things, really good things. And yet we end up not having any time for the advancement of the gospel. We end up having the advancement of the gospel as thinking that's someone else's job, that's Sydney's job, that's the missionary in Africa's job. That's, that's people who were crazy enough like Paul to, to go to prison for the gospel and write letters and write the Bible and, and do these things. And yet it was Paul who said to the Philippians back earlier in this chapter, we said, he said that you are my partners in the gospel. The church he was writing to, they were not the kind of people who just came to church every day, every week and gathered together and sang songs. They were partnering with Paul. They were out actually trying to advance the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. You ever heard people say, you know, if you, uh, you, know, you, you, you show people the gospel and if you need to, then you use words? You ever heard that saying? I, I know I butchered it, but, but whatever the saying is, that, that saying is kind of ridiculous to me. Yeah, we ought to show people the gospel, but you've got to be able to proclaim the gospel too. You have to. If you, if you go around doing good deeds for everybody all the time, they're going to think you're a really great person. 
but you're discipling them to good deeds unless you, if you don't ever speak to them about the gospel and about Jesus Christ and his change in your life. Does that make sense? We have to be comfortable with saying those kinds of things to people. We have to listen with gospel ears when people talk and, and try to figure out, now, what part of the, of the gospel are they not believing? That's why we use the four G's. That's why if you don't remember the four G's, go back and listen to those sermons because you, when you listen to people, you can hear them when they're talking and you say, oh, man, they don't believe that God is great. They try to be in control of everything. They try to manipulate situations to, to get the outcome that they think is right. They, they don't really believe that God is great. This is the part where I need to say, well, I want to tell you the gospel is that we serve a great God. He's the one true God. And he's so great that he's got everything under control. It doesn't mean I sit at home and do nothing, but I do my best and let him handle everything. Listen with gospel ears. Begin to practice saying the gospel. One of the great things about our men beginning to take the role as leader in their home is because it helps us practice talking the gospel. If you can talk about the gospel to your kids, <laughs> you can talk about the gospel to another adult who has a little bit you know, better understanding of things in their life. You can tell, if you can tell the gospel to a four-year-old and they can then repeat it back, you're doing a good thing. But when we don't practice those things, we end up never doing it. So many Christians that I've met in my life, they honestly believed it wasn't their job to be concerned for the advancement of the gospel. And I want you to know that if that is you, you're totally missing it. You did not come into this relationship with Jesus. You did not come into this family of believers just so you could be a part of a group. This isn't a, a weekly card game. It's not that. It's dying to the life that we used to have. Picking up our cross and following Jesus in everything we do. Whether it means your life or your death, it has to all be about the advancement of the gospel. The defense of the gospel. As I've, as I've been trying to prepare for the day, I've been completely convicted of how often those things never even cross my mind. And I'm a pastor. I mean, how often do we get caught up in doing everything that we're supposed to do throughout the day and we forget these things? And we might say a prayer like, God, you know, it'd be really great if you, you know, if I, if I go into this store, you, you'd have someone come up and ask me if I'm a Christian so I can have a conversation with them. I mean, <laughs> When does that ever happen? You know, oh, I just saw you walking by. You looked like a Christian. Can you tell me about Jesus? <laughs> Whoever came up with that idea, I mean, come on. Being concerned about the advancement of the gospel means that you're being proactive for the advancement of the gospel. I mean, how many of you guys, you can sell anything? Like, I mean, I talk to people. I can't tell you how many people I've talked into buying Apple products, Okay. I am concerned for the advancement of Apple, okay? <laughs> I want people to use Apple computers and Apple phones and Apple tablets. That way the world just works really good together and we all are happy. I am concerned about it. How many of you have ever been concerned about the advancement of your favorite college team? You know, I mean, how many people here, you talk more about Gators versus Seminole kind of thing. You know, it's a big deal. And you want people in Central Florida to be Gator fans so that everybody can be happy together because when everybody... When someone walks into church and they got a Seminole shirt on, like Randy, everybody gets upset. You know, they, they get upset, and it's a big deal. And so we're concerned about the advancement of stuff. We really are. You know, we're concerned about the advancement of, of all kinds of things. Our favorite um, school, 
if our kids go to school somewhere, we want people to think that must be the best school because it makes us feel good about ourselves because our kid goes to school there. So we're concerned about this, but Paul was mostly concerned not for all these other things. His concern was for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. He says that all the time, the sake of the gospel. He lived his life like it was his job to make sure that one day you would come to know Jesus. Who was it in your life that was so concerned about the gospel that you ended up hearing about it? Do you remember that person? Who was it that told you about the gospel? Was it a parent? Was it a Sunday school teacher? Was it a missionary? Was it a next door neighbor? Someone in your life was so concerned about that that you ended up becoming part of this family. I remember it was multiple people in my life. It started with my parents. Now, who is it in this world that has come into knowing and being part of the family, knowing and, and believing in Jesus because you were so concerned about the advancement of the gospel? There ought to be people. There ought to be an answer to that question. Does that make sense? It doesn't, it, there ought to be an answer to that question no matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, if you've been to seminary. It doesn't matter if you were a Christian for five minutes. I remember when I became a Christian, I was 15, and I really was an idiot. I mean, I was an idiot for a long time after that. But even at 15, I was clearly foolish. Most 15-year-olds are. I couldn't drive. And I didn't know much about the Bible, even though I had grown up in a Christian home. And I didn't know much, but I knew all of a sudden that even though I had said I knew Jesus and believed in Jesus, that when I turned 15, I knew enough that something was different. And all of a sudden, there was a love for this man, Jesus, because I understood his love for me, even though all of my mistakes. And I knew the only thing I know to do was to get on my bicycle and ride six miles across town with my Bible in my backpack that someone had just gave me and sit down with my best friend who I knew didn't know Jesus and sit there at his table with them, two 15-year-olds, and read the Bible until he came and to a point where he said, yeah. Yeah, I need to do that too. I didn't know anything except Jesus, and that was enough. Sometimes I think we think, well, I couldn't do that with someone because I don't know the answers. I'm telling you right now, if at 15 I could lead my 15-year-old friend to Christ, then anybody can do it. Those other things that we say, well, that's not for me. I wouldn't know what to say. I don't have the answer to questions. Those are just excuses, and what it really means is, I'm not really concerned with the advancement of the gospel. Our church is filled with people like that. Everywhere across the country, across the world, the church of Christ is full of people who don't seem to be concerned with the advancement of the gospel. And that is, that's a detriment to God's plan. Did you know that the Bible tells us when Jesus is going to come back? Did you know that? He says that when all have had a chance to hear... Then the end will come. I mean, don't y'all want that? I want that to happen. I'd love for it to happen soon so that I don't have to, you know, go through Ainsley being a teenager. But if, <laughs> if, we, could, if we could get so excited, however many Christians are in the world, if we could get so excited and concerned for the advancement of the gospel that we could give everyone in the world an opportunity to hear then we can begin to move. That's when you're part of the kingdom. Okay? 
Does that make sense? You all say I'm part of the kingdom. We all say that, but sometimes we don't act like it. If we want to be part of the kingdom, we've got to be part of God's plan. And his plan is that every ear would hear. That's his plan. And his plan is that we would be the ones to tell them. So Paul's letter to the Philippians, he starts out with, with telling them, hey, you know, I'm okay, I'm in prison. But he quickly turns and says, this is all about the gospel. Whether I live or die, he says, I don't care if you're confused about this or that. Get your stuff together. Everything we're doing, all of this, life and death, being friends, suffering, whatever. No matter where you live, your citizenship, it's all about the kingdom of heaven and the advancement of the gospel. And that's where he wants us to be today. So as we go through the book of Philippians, I really hope my prayer for, for us as a group, as a family at Heritage, is that we would be convicted, that we would begin to live with a concern on a daily basis, first and foremost, for the defense and the advancement of the gospel, that the gospel would change all these things in our lives as we walk through, and we would become different people. We wouldn't become the same person who loves Jesus. We would become a completely different person because Jesus is in us. Yes? Now, who's going to come back the next three weeks? Yes, more hands. Okay, so we're getting there. Maybe I'll say something on Facebook this week that will convict you even more, and, and then we will be there. Um, so, so let's spend some time in prayer this morning. Um, I, I would say this. Sometimes the Bible is clear that there are people who think they're Christians, and they actually are not. That's scary to me. The Bible has some scary things to say about that. I really believe in my heart that when Jesus transforms us, when he becomes part of who we are, that we have to become a different person. I really believe that. And if you've been going along and you're thinking, you know, I like church, this is cool, I like the music, I like being a part of a group of people who are pretty much all nice, you know, because most church people are pretty nice, at least to your face. Um, you know, if that's you, but yet there's not been something inside you, if you don't know the Jesus that Paul knew, if you don't, if you don't think that way, come and talk to me. Come, let's ask some questions and say, what Jesus do you know then? Because the Jesus of the Bible is a Jesus who is worth losing everything for. He really is. And that's the one true God. That's the one Jesus. I'm convinced that people who are running away from church and religion, they are not running away from Jesus. They're not. Because if they really knew the real Jesus, they would run toward him with everything they had. And if you've been introduced to a Jesus who is, who is uh, not loving, not forgiving, angry with you, you've been introduced to someone who is not real. And I would love a chance to introduce you to the Jesus that I know. Okay, so I'm available. Uh, afterwards, we've got overseers spread out throughout the, the place. And, and I would love to have those kinds of conversations. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for, for people like Paul, the people like the church at Philippi, who knew that even in their suffering because of the gospel, that they could have joy, whether they live or they die, that they knew that for all things, the advancement of the gospel was the number one priority. 
And because of their faithfulness, the gospel has been passed down and down and down through the generations. And now we sit here proclaiming Jesus Christ from our lips as we sing songs, as we put stickers on our car, as we update our statuses on the internet. We proclaim your name. Yet sometimes we're so wrapped up in all the other things of this world, we don't live with that same concern. Thank you for your forgiveness and your grace. I'm thankful for your mercy. And yet at the same time, I want you to to continue to mold us, to change us into the people you desire us to be. You've given us your Holy Spirit. Would we live in a way that we are courageous because he lives in our hearts, because we are filled with him? Would we live in a way that we are not afraid to not only show the gospel, to not only be nice to people and serve them, but also to proclaim the gospel? I pray that as you begin to change us like that, we would see a movement that goes so quickly, that's so powerful around us in this area, that the number of disciples coming to know Jesus would be uncountable, that it would be something that we've never seen or experienced before. That's what I'd like to see, Father. You placed us right here in the middle of this city of Fruitland Park for a reason. And I believe that reason is for the advancement of the gospel here in Fruitland Park. Put on our hearts that that should be our concern, our priority, to defend your gospel and to advance it for your kingdom and your glory alone, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen.